Welcome, beautiful people to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast we will ever need. On today's show, we're going to talk about EA and FIFA's breakup, Jim Ryan and his cats, <laughs> and Starfield's delay. But first, uh, obviously, the, I, I wasn't able to record last week, and they put out a YouTube video sort of briefly uh, talking about, well, not brief, I think it was like 20 minutes, to be honest, but talking about the Square Enix Embracer sale. But uh, I did want to touch on a few things that had happened after I created that video, you know, relative to that sale, which is that during an earnings call that took place a day after the sale was announced, Embracer Group confirmed that pending Disney's approval, they take over as publisher of both Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, this could mean that, number one, Avengers could potentially be turned around. Do I think that's going to happen? Uh, uh, Probably, maybe not. Uh, And it also does mean that a Guardians of the Galaxy sequel is possible. And one thing that I had spoke about, actually, you know, before I even comment on this, to add to that, according to MST financial analyst David Gibson, the reason Square Enix sold Crystal Dynamics and Eidos Montreal is because between Marvel Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy games, they lost the company $200 million. And um, I don't think that's really expressly the only reason why they decided to sell these studios and IP for, for, for me, the Square Enix move really feels very close to kind of what Konami did was, you know, when Konami noticed how much money they have to put in to a triple A title and how hard it is to get money back out of it. And then they sort of regressed. They sort of uh, broke everything down and rebuilt into a company that was really more expressly looking towards profit more so than anything else. And that's kind of what this smells like to me. You know, when Guardians of the Galaxy had released and even pending the moment leading up to Guardians of the Galaxy releasing, I had spoke about how poorly Square Enix marketed Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think I think you can sort of it, it sort of feels the same way for Avengers, but more so for Guardians of the Galaxy and, and even their latest failure, which was Babylon's Fall, which is it seems like their marketing department is really not in line with the development of these video games, uh, especially with Guardians of the Galaxy. It was just so poorly marketed um, from so many different angles that. I look at that type of game and and you sort of have to ask yourself, how did this game fail? Because critically, it was, I mean, praised in terms of all the reviews. Um, f- fans that bought the game and played it um, from the day it came out, including myself, were just extremely positive about the game. Um, so, you know, you can sort of point to marketing as being one of those issues. So it's sort of Square Enix is sort of in this weird position where it's like, they're the ones causing these games to fail, but then they themselves say, 
how is it this game is failing? It must be the it must be these teams. It must be this these developers. It's like no, it's Crystal Dynamics and Ios Montreal are filled with talented people. Uh, I do think a lot of it is is a marketing, and then b we can look at Avengers and the the amount of pressure that was put on that game to pigeonhole it into a games as a service, and that obviously. Uh, did not work out. So I, I could sort of see a Guardians of the Galaxy sequel being possible, but at the same time, I can also see Embracer Group, if they're you know able to completely take over uh, the Avengers, obviously Disney will still have to approve it. I don't know if that means that they wouldn't be allowed to even update the game if Disney doesn't approve. It's obviously a little weird. We don't know all of the details. But that's kind of one of those games that honestly I would sort of allow to die. And I, I think Disney will probably agree when it comes to the Avengers game. That it's probably better to just wind down development for that game. And then before we move on, according to Greg Miller, he previously heard from multiple sources that PlayStation was set to purchase Square Enix. Now, we don't know the full extent to this rumor, he had explained that he wasn't sure if, you know, what was being talked about was Square Enix as a whole being purchased as a company or PlayStation looking into the same exact deal that Embracer Group got, which was really just purchasing those Western studios. Uh, and it was something that I brought up when I talked about this sale uh, on that YouTube video, which it, it is sort of weird that a deal this good, you know, X, not not Xbox or PlayStation. It's it's kind of weird to think that neither of them were interested in this deal, uh, especially with you know how cheap it was. You know, three hundred million dollars is really nothing compared to what both of these companies have spent in uh, in the past. I mean, even with Insomniac, which was like two twenty five million or something like that, was for a single studio. Um, and you know, a couple of IP that they had, but, uh, compared to this deals, obviously a lot, lot less. Uh, our first story deals with EA and, uh, last week EA officially announced the end of their FIFA partnership. This year's version will still be called FIFA, but the future franchise will be called EA sports FC, which I'm going to assume means football club. I guess the company wrote in an announcement, quote, Everything you love about our games will be part of EA Sports FC. The same great experience, modes, leagues, tournaments, clubs, and athletes will be there. Modes like Ultimate Team, Career Pro Clubs, and Volta will all remain. Alongside licenses to the biggest national leagues, including Premier, La Liga, and Bundesliga, and all the players, teams, and stadiums contained therein. According to reports last October, negotiations between EA and FIFA had gotten messy. EA wanted to expand the license into areas like NFTs, while FIFA wanted to retain more control so it could partner with other companies. In the end, it seems EA wasn't interested in paying the $1 billion price tag that was allegedly being requested to extend the existing exclusivity deal. And let's be honest, a billion dollars just to slap FIFA on, on the cover of your game, it's just, obviously, it's, it's definitely not worth it. And I'm sure that even... When it came to uh, expanding into other areas, I'm sure it wasn't even just that. It probably was if EA were to expand into other areas, there probably would be some sort of revenue split 
or something like that because you still are using the FIFA branding. So even if you were to create, you know, um, which is something I've always talked about in terms of NFT use cases, which would be turning FIFA's ultimate team into an NFC use case where people will be able to buy, sell, trade outside of the actual game across systems, for example, um, excuse me, across platforms. Um, that's one of the NFT applications that actually makes the utmost sense when we talk about um, applying NFTs to video games. So, it, it, you know, if, if you're EA, obviously expanding into something that's completely a, a brand new sector, you really don't want to start cutting deals or, or uh, cutting your revenue up with another company. And you know, let's be honest, FIFA's is not worth a billion dollars. Uh, FIFA's president Gianni Infantino disagrees. He says, quote, I can assure you that the only authentic real game that has a FIFA name will be the best one available for gamers and football fans. The FIFA name is the only global original title. FIFA 23, FIFA 24, FIFA 25, and FIFA 26, and so on. The constant is the FIFA name and it will remain forever and remain the best. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> just, just straight up. Just no, sorry, uh, Mr. Infantino. This is not, uh, true in the slightest. I think if FIFA were to try to either get someone else to get into this license and create their own game, this is, it's really kind of a shadow of a, a doubt, you, you know, snowballs chance that you'll be able to create a game that's as successful as um, FIFA. And uh, let's be honest, FIFA is really king, not really just here in the United States, but it's really more king in places like Europe, where obviously football is way more heavily watched and followed, and it is the world sport. And, you know, those fans are just going to move over the core game is really what they care about. If, if FIFA as a, you know, conglomerate decides they want to go out and find another development team to make a soccer game, they're going to find it extremely, extremely difficult. It's not, it's really not going to be an easy thing. That's number one. Number two, um, they're going to find it very hard to find a company out of, outside of EA that would pay $1 billion uh to put that license on a FIFA game. And, you know, obviously we know that Konami has eFootball, but that's already something where they're hemorrhaging money. It still has not been a success for them. I don't see them paying a billion dollars just to slap FIFA and call it FIFA eFootball or something like that. Uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of controversy surrounding FIFA as a, like I said, as a collective uh fifa is, is sort of uh tainted meat and you can go and do your own research to find out why that is you know surrounding all that you know even a, a major sports player like 2k like i don't think you would really want to associate yourself with fifa anymore especially um you know them asking for one billion dollars for the license and fifa is sort of that type of uh, collective that I, th I think they think that it's worth it. You know, I, I, I don't see them wanting to license it out for less than $1 billion. So unless they put the money up to, you know, purchase their own studio and kind of go through all the rigmarole, rigmarole of doing that, 
uh, it's going to be extremely difficult to top what EA has been doing for years. You know, the amount of money that they will have to spend to make it successful is just really not going to work. You're not going to be able to trick consumers. They know what's happening. So even if you were to put something on the shelves that's called FIFA, if it's garbage, it's garbage. No one's going uh, to buy it. So honestly, I've, I've spoken about this before on Camp Koji. I think EA, this is kind of for the better, not just for all the controversy surrounding FIFA, but also just simply because of the fact that they really just don't need that FIFA license. Um, you know, EA Sports FC is is just fine. Could there have been a better name out there? I feel like probably. I probably could have come up with something a little bit better than that. But, uh, you know, the name's not going to matter. As long as the, the, the game is still enjoyable and people, people like it, uh, then I'm sure they're going to continue to give EA money for it. Our next story deals with uh, Jim Ryan. This was kind of a, a weird story that came out last week. Uh, an internal Sony email sent by Jim Ryan to employees was leaked and quickly mocked. In it, he asked employees to respect anti-abortion views and opinions while for some reason going on a rant about his cats. Um, for those that have been living under a rock, the biggest uh, discourse and controversy happening right now in the United States of America was a leaked memo from the Supreme Court um, that seems to be leading to the overturning of Roe versus Wade, uh, which is the backbone um, for a woman's, uh, you know, uh, right to choose to have an abortion. So Jim Ryan wrote um, that staff and the company quote owe it to each other and to PlayStation's millions of users to respect differences of opinion among everyone in our internal and external communities. Respect does not equal agreement but it is fundamental to who we are as a company and as a valued global brand. He then spent a reported five paragraphs in the email talking about his two cats' first birthdays, the noises they make, and his dream of one day owning a dog. According to Jason Schreier, he wrote, quote, that dogs really are man's best friend. They know their place and perform useful functions like biting burglars and chasing balls that you throw for them. Kotaku also separately confirmed the content of this email and learned that Ryan also wrote about missing his travels to Japan and watching Anatomy of a Scandal. Yeah, this um, obviously became a, a pretty big deal over on, on Twitter last week. And, you know, there's sort of been many different times where Jim Ryan has sort of shown that although he is, it's almost like the difference between a manager and a leader. I've, I've, I've talked about this a lot throughout my whole life, which is that there's a distinct difference between a manager and a leader. And it seems like from the perspective of the outside, looking at what Sony's going through, it seems that Jim Ryan's a very, very good manager, businessman, but he's not a very good leader. And it's moments like these and, and, and sometimes some of the other things that he said in the past, whether it was, you know, a whole mocking of Gran Turismo and talking about why would anyone want to play old games? You know, there's just something about Jim Ryan that seems like 
he's the type of person that fails to respect um, other people's wishes. I don't, I'm trying to see. I think I'm I'm not doing a good job of explaining exactly what I mean. But you know, if you're a leader of a company talking about something that is such a huge deal, because we're you know. When it comes to this conversation about abortion, I don't think, actually, no, I'm not even going to say I don't think. I know that um, the people who are strongly opposed to the overturning of Roe versus Wade are not really opposed as a matter of opinion. You know, if, if someone has an opinion that, you know, uh, a baby should never be aborted, pro-life, all that stuff. That's I, I, I guarantee you that most people that are pro-choice don't mind that you have that uh, opinion and you have that feeling based on religion or otherwise. Obviously, the big issue with uh, Roe versus Wade and everything that's happening in this country is taking away someone else's choice because of your opinion. So you have this opinion about uh, abortion, and because of that, you feel that no one should be allowed to have an abortion. That's the problem. That's the big issue with this Jim Ryan thing is he puts it as let's respect people's opinions when it's not really an opinion. You know, how could you respect being able to uh, take away a woman's choice uh, of what she's able to do with her own body? It doesn't. Uh, that does not track. That's not for me. That's not really something that uh, is an opinion or um, any type of disagreement. Um, you know, I, I don't want to spend too much time spending uh, too much of a focus on just the, you know, the abortion portion. Uh, I think I've made it clear where I, um, which side of the fence that I personally fall on you know i myself as a man if if, if uh, i was told that you know once i reached the age of 40 i would be forced to have a vasectomy or something like that and i would not have that choice of my own body i would be pretty uh upset about that and when it comes to abortion the woman's right to choose and uh i yeah i want to say i speak for all men but i know i speak for myself when i say that that's none of my business, you know, and that's, and, uh, that's really where I fall on. But it, 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 this is kind of one of those moments, too, where as a president of such a large company, where if you don't have something good to say, then you probably should just shut the fuck up. And this is kind of definitely one of those examples of Jim Ryan, you, you would have been better off just saying absolutely nothing. Uh, and, uh, We've spoken about in, in the gaming space how sometimes out of touch Jim Ryan feels compared to um, a president like Phil Spencer or even Doug Bowser, where um, it seems like, I'll use Phil Spencer as an example, it seems like he's just a lot more in tune with the non-business side of Xbox just as much as the business portion of it. Uh, it's, it's so important to have that balance and, you know, for him to put out this email where, you know, you kind of ask yourself, well, what was the point of this email? If you're going to send this email 
talking about this huge thing that's happening uh, and, and you decide that you're not going to uh, take a side or, or vocally oppose what's happening, then what, what was really the point of the email? It's almost, you know, he was, you know, Jim Ryan was one of the first to talk in opposition to what was happening at uh, Activision with Bobby Kotick. Uh, you know, he, he took a stance on that. So it's, it's really weird to see him not take a stance on this, knowing that this email is going to, or excuse me, he should have known that this would have negatively affected uh, a lot of the employees within um, your company. It just, it just sort of doesn't really um, make a lot of sense. It just feels like he really didn't think this through. And then, you know, to, to, even setting that aside to have a big chunk of your email, uh, you know, spend it talking about cats and the fact that dogs know their place. It's, it's just so weird. It really feels like something that's written, you know, by, uh, by hard drive, that, that gaming parody <laughs> website. It's sort of what it feels like. And another one of the things that made this interesting was, you know, Bungie, right? So we all know Sony announced this intention to purchase Bungie and with when this announcement was made, Bungie was very, very clear about where they stood. You know, they spent the past week on Twitter publicly supporting access to abortion, condemning the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade, and, you know, even responding on Twitter to gamers who didn't like this idea of the studio supporting their employees and, and their bodily rights. Or, you know, there were a lot of gamers that were like, oh, you know, this is politics. You guys need to stay away from politics or whatever. Like, uh, I know that I can't be the only one that's very tired of, uh, you know, this, when, when there's this conversation about just uh, humanity and just human, this is, to me, this is just human rights. Uh, there's always people that will bring it up and say, well, this is a political issue. It's like, no, this is a human rights issue. Um, this is not a, uh, a political issue. I guarantee you there are people that um, are on the Republican side that, that don't agree with, with Roe v. Wade being overturned either. I don't think it's really a political issue. So it's always weird to see um, gamers, sometimes these things happen in video games, whether it's uh, storylines or video games were released and, you know, this conversation of, hey, you guys need to steer clear of... Uh, the political conversation, you know, it's not like, um, you know, Bungie is, you know, endorsing Joe Biden or, or, or what have you, right? Like that to me will be this clear political thing. Um, they're just defending their, you know, the rights of, of their employees. And Bungie has always been very, very forward thinking as a company. So, um, yeah, that has to be super upsetting if you're a Bungie employee, even the leader of Bungie and, and their presidents and CEOs, because they've, they've always taken a hard stance for, you know, what, you know, if you talk about LGBTQ uh, plus rights, to me, that those, those that also falls under human rights. I don't just look at it as gay rights. I think it's just a right for a human being to. Um, you know, be able to live the life that, that uh, you know, live a life respectfully. They've always been able to take this, uh, publicly take these stances. Um, so it must be super upsetting to, 
you know, make that deal. And, and some, you know, do, do I think that this is going to affect the deal? No, I, I, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, but I can't imagine a scenario where once that Jim Ryan email came out that, you know, the higher ups on Bungie did not express uh, their feelings towards Jim Ryan. So there's a part of me that's kind of hoping that Jim Ryan, you know, puts out a statement addressing this. I, I, I sort of think he, he should. And, I think the 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 higher ups at uh, Bungie's leadership team should should um, you know pressure him to do so uh, because as I said, imagine you know being one of Bungie's employees and now uh, even though you know we all know that they sort of remain un, in, independent, um, they are still owned by this company that's headed by Jim Ryan. That thinks that um, we have to respect. Um, this opinion that women shouldn't have the right um, to choose, which I uh, obviously I, I think is just um, absolutely preposterous. Our final story deals with Starfield. So Starfield and Redfall have both been delayed to the first half of 2023. But as the statement reads, quote, we've made the decision to delay the launches of Redfall and Starfield to the first half of 2023. The teams at Arcane Austin, working on Redfall, and Bethesda Game Studios, working on Starfield, have incredible ambitions for their games, and we want to ensure that you receive the best, most polished versions of them. We want to thank everyone for their excitement for Redfall and Starfield. That energy is a huge part of what inspires all of us every day and drives our own excitement for what we are creating. We can't wait to share our first deep dive into the gameplay for both Redfall and Starfield soon. Thank you for your support. Now, I had zero, it was like none percent chance <laughs> that Redfall was releasing this year. I definitely never expected it to release this year. It was a game that we just learned about last year. All we got was this, this uh, um, CG trailer. It wasn't even in-game engine type of stuff. So th there was no way that Redfall was coming this year. And it's kind of funny because when this announcement came through, that was one of the surprising pieces of it for me, which was Redfall was supposed to come out this year. <laughs> like, you know, um, and that's, that's something that uh, I want to talk about during this piece, which is uh, this weird, it, it's weird that uh, a lot of these companies are starting to put dates or even years on games that it, it's, I think we can all collectively agree it's, sort of impossible, even from the outside looking in, that this game would be able to make it uh, by the end of this year. Redfall really falls under that uh, category. Now, Starfield is different. Starfield is one where I had talked about that that 11-11-22 date, it obviously, I've spoke about this in the past, it felt very calculated because Skyrim came out 11-11-11. It seems like they were trying to go along kind of the same thing. So it felt very ambitious, but I think the reason why I thought they could make it was because it was Bethesda and it's sort of a little, you know, they, they've kind of done this before. Now, response to the delay, Bloomberg's Jason Schreier tweeted, quote, last spring before E3, I spoke to some folks on Starfield who were extremely worried about committing to a 11-11-22 date based on a progress they'd made so far. He claims that next cyberpunk was the term that was floated. So a few things. Number one, 
I find it funny and I wonder how long this will last in terms of the gaming lexicon, which is cyberpunk. Now this 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 game and this this word, this term is now forever ingrained with game delays. <laughs> like imagine publishing a game that was such a huge disaster that every single game must compare a delay to that disaster. It's like Chernobyl, right? Anytime there's like any, um, you know, uh, fear of something happening to a nuclear power plant, people always call it the next Chernobyl. Like that is what, (laughs) that is what cyberpunk has become because now when a, a game is delayed, people are like, oh, you know, this is great. No one wants another cyberpunk. That's, uh, I, I don't think that's the legacy that, you know, CD Projekt Red wanted Cyberpunk to carry, but, uh, but you know, here we are. Um, I'm a little bit surprised when Jason Schreier puts this up as like the next Cyberpunk because part of me is like, you know, how many employees they talked to, how many actually felt that way. Um, because, you know, that, that's, that's a strong statement. You know, once we think about Cyberpunk, and you know what based upon what we know now post release it took cyberpunk over a year to become stable so when you talk about next cyberpunk is the implication that this game is actually supposed to be 1 year away and it's it's in that bad of a state so i'm sort of taking that part of his tweet a little bit with a grain of salt because uh it it I, it it I would find it weird that a bunch of employees would use that exact term. But obviously, the game was not ready. Bethesda did confirm that Starfield will still be revealed during the Xbox showcase next month. So at the very least, we'll be able to uh, to actually see it. Um, yeah, I, I think we've reached this, this point, and I'll, I'll speak about it a little bit more later uh, in the story, but... I think we have reached this point where a lot of gamers are becoming more and more comfortable with delays. And it's weird because the thing that caused that was not crunch. <laughs> you know, you, you'd think that that would be why gamers would be comfortable. Like, you know, we want to avoid crunch. That's great. But what made, com- uh, you know, um, consumers and gamers comfortable now with delays and being able to more easily accept them is a combination of what happened to Cyberpunk and I think also just the overwhelming amount of delays. We, we've reached this point in our industry where when a date is attached to a game, uh, you know, there, there's, there's no reason to believe that it will actually reach that date. It's now becoming more rare for a company to actually hit a date than um, to not hit that date. And obviously a lot of that is uh, was caused by COVID and we're still sort of in the middle of COVID. So uh, there's no way that that's not affecting a lot of these delays. One thing that I found interesting was Xbox's Phil Spencer tweeted, quote, these decisions are hard on teams making the games and our fans. While I fully support giving teams time to release these great games when they are ready, we hear the feedback Delivering quality and consistency as expected, we will continue to work to better meet those expectations. I actually did not like this quote. I don't like when, I don't think companies should place any sort of spotlight to 
haters or people who complain just to complain. So for him to say, you know, while I fully support giving teams time to release these great games when they are ready, we hear the feedback. Like what feedback? Like what what constructive feedback um, would I deem or or ever deem valuable um, in terms of delaying a game? Like what would you rather have happen in this situation uh, as a consumer? Would you rather have them stretch the team, increase crunch, and uh, definitely release a game that was not ready as opposed to a delay? And I feel like the majority, actually, you know what? The overwhelming majority of players, I guarantee you, and Starfield fans are, of course, disappointed. Like, there's there's no doubt in your mind you're going to be disappointed. You're really excited um, to play this game. So, of course, you're going to be disappointed. But you you understand that there's a reason for it. You understand that when there is a delay, all that means is that the game is not ready for you to uh, play it yet. You know, the same goes for, I'm sure, if you're a Marvel film fan and, you know, COVID hit and, you know, Marvel's slate had to uh, move backwards with their TV shows and and their films. Of course, you're going to be uh, disappointed, but you understand the reason why something like that had to happen. And I guarantee you that the overwhelming amount of people that are looking forward to Starfield, including myself, are, of course, disappointed that they will not be able to play the game this year. But I guarantee you none of them are angry or or even upset enough to give uh, anything that would be considered constructive feedback because what, what feedback would be constructive at this point outside of something that I, I want to mention a little later in the story, which is that I think that companies need to stop putting attaching especially hard dates onto video games. I think we're at that point right now where we just need to stop uh, point blank, we need to stop doing that. Outside of that feedback, um, you know, we need to stop acknowledging uh, and giving a platform to negativity. You know, if, if I'm Phil Spencer, I'm saying, you know, I feel the sport giving teams time to release these great games when they're ready. And I appreciate all the fans that understand why we have to do that. Because I guarantee you, the overwhelming majority of fans were saying, we understand, damn, it sucks, but that's okay. I understand. I would rather be the game, be in a much better state. Uh, that that should have been the announcement from Phil Spencer. We need to stop giving platforms to, you know, negativity. You know, it's like even even me. I, I talk a lot about, um, uh, you know, someone insulting or saying something bad or something very stand boyish about a particular platform, and not talking about you know the majority of gamers that understand that this isn't a plastic a plastic box war and doesn't you know none of that shit um you know really really matters now the other thing about this announcement is that it confirms that xbox now has zero first party releases for this year um which is kind of crazy when you think about it and the only possibility um coming this year maybe would be either a forza motorsport 8 uh, which part of me is kind of doubting. Uh, two years ago was, I think, when they first talked about it and they said it was still a little ways away. Uh, or Hellblade 2, uh, which I, I also think 
is sort of a bit of a long shot. And obviously we won't really know until the Xbox showcase if Xbox has anything coming out this year. You know, it is possible that uh, Deathloop is shown coming to Xbox during their showcase uh, and obviously being added to Game Pass. Um, you know, that deal should have only been for a year. Uh, I don't know exactly how the deal works. If it's like a year to the date and Xbox can uh, already start marketing that it's coming to Xbox and PC, or excuse me, Xbox, uh, I don't know. But outside of Scorn, Scorn, uh, which is like that crazy looking first person shooter, is, is as of right now currently the only Xbox exclusive dated to be released this year. Uh, obviously, it's not a game being first party, it's a third party game, but Xbox paid for exclusivity. The other one that was supposed to come out this year was Stalker 2. But that is a Ukrainian developer, and, and it's been delayed indefinitely because of everything that's happening over there, which um, is is uh, unfortunate. But yeah, with Starfield being delayed, you know, Xbox now has absolutely nothing going into the holiday. And unless they announce or reveal something at their showcase next month, that's the way that's going to stay. PlayStation, at the very least does have God of War coming out at the uh, at the end of of this year. Um, it, this, this is pretty bad. I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is pretty bad. Um, you know, we've... I've spoken about in the past about Xbox mismanaging a lot of their projects and the fact that that's probably only going to get worse as they bring in, you know, uh, a business as big as Activision Blizzard into the fold and obviously we've talked about all these other games perfect dark having um some issues everwild is a game that hopefully will resurface next month but even if it does resurface do i believe it's coming out this year no <laughs> you know uh that goldeneye remake is probably something we'll see at the showcase next month that's that's a possibility but, you know, some people are talking about like, oh, you know, maybe Fable, they'll announce and they'll release this year. I, I, just, I personally can't see something like that um, happening. And, you know, like I said, we've reached this point where dates being attached to games are, it almost feels like they're being revealed as a target that can only be achieved if absolutely everything goes right. And, and we can no longer measure game releases by that metric. And, you know, attaching a release date to a game, it serves, a, uh, obviously it serves a marketing purpose. It serves a purpose for uh, your shareholders. It serves a purpose um, for gaining metrics for your marketing. So, you know, Moment Starfield is a, was revealed to be coming out November 11th. You know, at that point, you're talking about pre-orders and, and you can gauge interest in terms of pre-orders in different parts of the world and then from there you can adjust your marketing budget like there are a lot of reasons to attach a date to something but then a lot of that gets lost obviously um you know if there is a delay you know compared to something like elden ring which suffered a delay but it was just by a month right um 
you know, we're, we're in this industry right now where it's like, unlike films or TV shows, game release dates being pushed back has, you know, become a regular thing for our industry that's only going to get worse, you know, as budgets get bigger and bigger and games get more and more complex and complicated. And, you know, now with a lot of companies looking towards remote work as a potential future, um, and, uh, you know, obviously the fact that COVID is still very, very real. Um, you know, we haven't had, we haven't heard the last of, of delays and, you know, God of War Ragnarok, they've reiterated that they're still committed to a release date um, of this year. But, you know, obviously that there's a very real possibility that something like that um, will slip. And I think this also is one of those moments where you highlight the success of game pass because of the fact that Xbox has been able to feed game pass, um, using third parties and a lot of games be able to debut there day one, you know, what was it like last week or two weeks ago? Iuden Chronicles, I think it was, um, that was debuting on there. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other games that, um, think you know, Truck to Yomi is another example. I think this also highlights one of the great things about Game Pass is is it kind of helps to lessen that blow of a Xbox not having a lot of first party releases, uh, and then just you know these big games being pushed back. You know, gives you access uh, to these games at, at the you know at the very least. And the thing about it also is that you know all three of these platforms, Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft, have become sort of guilty of attaching unrealistic dates to video games. You know, we saw Sony recently with their forbidden delay, you know, this potential of God of War being delayed. Uh, obviously, Nintendo with the disaster that is Breath of the Wild 2 and Bayonetta 3 um, and, 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 and those dates being pushed back. And, you know, the reason why originally I had, I had thought that, oh, I feel confident that Bethesda can hit that November 11th uh, release date for me it was basically because of what happened with Fallout 4 and Fallout 76. You know, those are the two games that were revealed and announced at E3s, and they and then they released you know a few months later. They kept to that date. You know, Fallout 4 was rumored. I think 76 was rumored, but there was no direct confirmation until they actually revealed the game. They showed it off. They talked about it, and then that's really when the marketing push began and they were able to keep to that date. And I guarantee you that was a very clean marketing budget, <laughs> you know, because if you're, if, if you're continuously marketing Starfield, November 11th, 22, 11, 11, 22, and you're throwing out these dates and even doing those really cool behind the scenes, which I absolutely love that they've been doing, you know, at the end of the day, if uh, it slips, now more money needs to be pumped into the marketing budget because now you have to rerun uh, even more ads at a different point in time, um, you know, having to buy up uh, brand new ad spaces and time slots and all these different things that you have to do or, or accomplish for an entirely new date, right? Um, and it's kind of gotten to this point where 
Um, I really thought that Bethesda sort of cracked the code a little bit when it came to setting release dates, but obviously that changed a little bit because they announced the release date for Starfield in June 2021. So it was uh, over a year after, and you know, it's hard to not believe that that was an Xbox decision. I don't think it was a Bethesda decision. You know, at this point, I think we've reached this moment where there's not really much of a reason to attach concrete dates to games anymore uh, until you're, you're very confident that you'll be able to ship the game um, to the point that, in my opinion, games should not be dated until a five to six month window. I think at that point, when you're sure that, okay, I can deliver this game five months from now, then at that point, then your delay, if there is a delay, would be similar to Elden Ring within a one month window or even potentially two month window. Then at that point, the delay becomes a lot easier to swallow. And on top of that, from the perspective of a consumer and a gamer, you know, especially for the people that are looking at Elden Ring, when you look at a delay of, of a month, the understanding that you have is that the game is in a really, really, really good place. It just needs just a tiny, just a little bit more of a polish as opposed to something like Starfield where the date was attached over, not over a year ago, but a year ago. And as of right now, there is no concrete date. All they said was first half of 2023, which means that there is a six-month window within that game could release. Who know, you know, this 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 delay doesn't mean that this game is coming out, you know, next January, next February. It's it's very possible it could slip to May 2023 or June 2023. So it sort of gives you this feeling like, man, did something go wrong? Is the game in in a, in a really, really bad state? And maybe part of that could be um what we know, which is them using a brand new engine. Um, so this showing that they have next month now has become even more important because what's funny is that if you're a Bethesda fan, you don't expect the most polished experience when you first buy a game from them, you know, that there's going to be bugs and, you know, visual glitches and things like that. Um, but the core game still remains, you know, you're still expecting really strong dialogue and a great story. And um, it kind of makes me feel like, man, the, the game must have really not been in, in, in a very good state for them to delay it and not even give it another date for them to delay and just say, yes, the first half, not even the first quarter. Right. You know, that's a little uh, concerning, you know, but now we're in the digital Internet era. And that's why I say like a five to six month windows. uh is pretty good because you're able to obtain data at a much faster rate than you were able to do in the nineties, for example, and you can adjust your marketing accordingly and turn it a little bit faster than you used to be able to. And you're able to keep up the momentum a lot easier within a five to six month window. Um, yeah, I kind of like what EA did with the dead space remake. For example, they were doing these developer, you know, videos like once a month, once every few months, they now gave it a, a date of January, 2023. And, and you feel more confident looking at that date. Um, and also learning alongside and, and being able to see the behind the scenes and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, if Xbox would have never attached this date, they could have 
easily attach an early 2023 date when they revealed it next month and then, you know, issue a concrete date once they were 100% sure that they could hit their target. It would have been a lot easier on everybody involved, you know, from uh, the money that you put into your marketing to the gamers that are anticipating this if you would have just kept, you know, coming soon. And I think that's why I think that a lot of these decisions were Xbox. You know, Xbox was in this position. When you think about where they were in uh, 2020 and, and, and 2021, where they really didn't have much to show. They had the Halo Infinite delay. Um, it just was not looking very good alongside place, what PlayStation 5 was offering. And I think for them, uh, I think they were being number one, very optimistic about Starfield. I think now we can successfully feel that probably Todd Howard and the rest of the team was like, yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to do that. But I think Xbox pushed forward with attaching that date to it because they needed to show something. And the same thing with Redfall for them to attach this year for Redfall was, and that's not even optimistic that to me, looking at it now and looking back at it, as I said, I come, I completely forgot. I had no idea they even attached that year to it. Cause there was, there's just no way realistically they'll be able to do it. Uh, it's, it, I think we can make that assumption that uh, the Xbox just bold. It was just a bold face lie. And yeah, you know, it, it's not technically a lie because it will be a delay, but I think internally they were like, oh, let's just slap 2022 on it, get our fans excited and looking forward to games, probably amidst all the issues that they were having with Everwild and Fable and, you know, the initiatives, Perfect Dark and all these other issues that they were seeing. Uh, you know, we want our fans to to, to feel happy and feel optimistic <clears throat> about uh, our 2022. So I think it's pretty obvious that they were just lying about that. Um and I just kind of hope amidst all these delays that companies just start feeling comfortable with putting coming soon at the end of their um, their trailers. And then at some point, uh, whether it's like developer conversations put up on YouTube or articles where, you know, at that point you can say like, hey, this is where what we're targeting, but we're not sure we can hit it. You know, and I think transparency would, would go a long way within our industry. Right now, I've always praised Nintendo with it, with the transparency that they've shown when it when when talking about a delay of, of of uh, of their games and really being open to having issues. I think that's kind of where we are right now. We've been seeing so many games getting delayed lately that you're probably just better off just saying coming soon. Or one thing that I loved when Cyberpunk was first announced and shown off was the release date was when it's ready. And I think it's it's fine to do that. Uh, I think marketing wise, you can do a lot in a you know six month window um, by just attaching a quarter, you know, holiday twenty twenty or um, first quarter. Excuse me, uh, spring twenty twenty three or something like that. Uh, and then as you inch closer to it being able to to actually attach a much more concrete date and if you even if you miss that window by month i think most fans are going to um be very very okay with it but um um yeah you know hopefully that, that that's something we see more coming out of the industry in the future in light of all these delays that we've seen this week's high releases tomorrow may 17th 
We have Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion Expansion for PC, Fury coming to PS5. And then on May 19th, we have Vampire the Masquerade Swan Song, PC, PS4, PS5, Switch, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X. Time to wrap it up. Stories we didn't have time to get to. Last week, Remedy announced that Alan Wake Remastered will be coming to Nintendo Switch as a digital-only release. Uh, This is awesome in the face of Remedy's last Switch release, which was Control. And that's because Control was stream-only for Nintendo Switch. So at the very least, at least it's releasing natively on the Switch. You don't have to stream it. But then they also revealed that the Alan Wake TV series that was first announced in 2018 is being developed by AMC. And, uh, you know, I mean, I spoke about this before where we've been hearing about so many properties being turned into films and and TV shows that it's impossible for all of these to be really good. And, you know, probably a lot of them are going to be bad. Although, you know, side note, Netflix revealed a trailer for Resident Evil, uh, the one dealing with Wesker's kids. And honestly, it, it looks really good. Like, I, I feel like it looks like the best adaptation of Resident Evil in a while, which it, it doesn't seem like the, a just cheesy piece of crap or cheesy B-movie feel. It, you know, it, it feels very original. It feels like they have a lot of room to play um, since it, it, it exists sort of after uh, the games. Um, so yeah, side note that that actually does look pretty good, but I will say this Alan Wake on AMC, that's like a match made in heaven. Uh, this feels along the same line of fallout and Amazon and then fallout being done by the same people that have done Westworld, um, which is obviously just, just a great team. And it also reminded me of Last of Us and HBO, where uh, these networks being matched up with these franchises just totally make a lot of sense. And AMC being matched up with Alan Wake, that's is, is absolutely perfect. It, it reminds me of when AMC adapted Preacher, for example. It, just, it was just a match made in heaven. It was so perfect. And I feel like that alone got me really excited, even though it'll probably be a while until this show comes out. Activision Blizzard was being dragged yet again last week due to King's Diversity Space Tool, a tool that assigns points to different aspects of a character in an effort to create a more diverse game. Look, trying to um, embrace diversity into your game is definitely not something that you need an algorithm for or, or a tool. And I think, you know, a lot of people responded and said, you know, why don't you guys just hire a more diverse team? That's probably the way to go about it. And they're just like a hundred percent right when it, when it comes down to this on one hand, I sort of look at it as like, this is cool that companies are actually trying something new, but it's just the worst possible way to, to do this. Um, diversity in your games shouldn't be something that's determined once again by an algorithm or a points system. I think it's really simple to be able to get from beginning to end conceptually when you're creating a video game to not have a generic white dude (laughs) as uh, the protagonist. And this comes 
uh, this sort of reflects another story that we learned about where I don't have it written down. I don't have like the meat and potatoes of the story, but I briefly um, saw a headline um, about how Respawn Entertainment was basically told no when they tried to do a black or female lead for Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which is really disappointing to hear about. Um, and it goes to show that, you know, tools are not the solutions to this. You know, it's uh, more and more companies being comfortable, you know, which is why I, I endlessly praise a game like Deathloop that had two black protagonists in it. Um, that's what's going to move the needle forward, not a fucking spreadsheet or something like that. Uh, and last but not least, uh, I wanted to briefly talk about Gotham Knight. So WB released a 13-minute gameplay video for this game featuring Red Hood and Nightwing. They also announced the cancellation of the PS1 and Xbox One versions. Now, I'm a huge Batman fan, arguably my favorite comic book hero. Uh, love the Batman games. I still think that they are the best... Um, video game adaptations of a comic book. Look, I love the Spider-Man game for, for PlayStation. Um, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, yes, give me that. Uh, but I still think the, the Batman Arkham Trilogy is the greatest um, video game released based on a comics property. So obviously I was very disappointed that there was not going to be another Batman game, but one that um, featured these other four uh, characters that have fought alongside him. And I wasn't excited for Gotham Knights when they first announced it. I was very skeptical. And now that I see this gameplay video, my excitement just dropped to an absolute zero because it, it honestly just doesn't look good. So first of all, after watching the footage, I found the PS4 and Xbox One cancellations very interesting um, because it seemed like there was nothing that I saw that would have prevented the game from being optimized from those consoles. Now, some people talked about maybe there was difficulty with the city and involving co-op, but you know, at the very least thing, you could have just removed co-op for the other versions. Um, but I don't think that, that that's it. Um, I, 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 I honestly am very curious as to why the PS4 and Xbox One versions were canceled. Most of the time, a lot of people were praising this decision. They were like, oh yeah, this is great. You get to focus on just the next gen. But the game is already supposed to be coming out in October. So I don't think that that cancellation is all of a sudden going to make these other versions better. But it seemed the thinking was that these games would have been worse if they would have released. Not, not that now these newer gen versions are going to be better. Um, I actually disagree with the decision just financially and, and from the aspect of more people being able to play the game. This is one of those that I disagree with. <laughs> Normally, I do agree with current gen only type of stuff, especially since we're about to hit two years. But this is one where I, I definitely disagree with. Even if they had to delay these two versions or uh, get uh, other studios to help out with the porting, uh, I, I, I do think that this was the wrong call. But, you know, overall, it just doesn't look very good, you know? And what's weird is that the combat, if you go back and see when gameplay was first announced and shown, when they showed Batgirl and Robin gameplay, the combat actually looked better. It felt heavier, it felt snappier, it felt a lot closer to the brilliant system that was created by Rocksteady when it comes to Arkham and the combat system. This one feels very, very floaty, uh, you know, 
the combat philosophy between Red Hood compared to when we played as Red Hood uh, in the Arkham games or his DLC it was just really weird, you know, um, to keep his playstyle or to turn his playstyle the way they did. Um, there were some points where they show like cutscenes and just everything just felt very stiff and wonky and the voice acting felt very stiff. Um, it's just something like soulless about this game, which is weird because once again, if you go back and you look at when they first revealed it with Batgirl and Mr. Freeze, it looked and felt like a much more stable game. It, there's some something that de- there's a story here. I'm telling you right now, there's a story behind Gotham Knights. Something over in that studio happened. I don't know what happened, but something happened. And the most disappointing part was to right smack dab in the middle of those 13 minutes. Uh, outside of Red Hood having a magic jump, which I thought was just super weird, like. You should have just given this man a jetpack. Like the magic jump thing was so just weird to look at. Um, But uh, smack dab in the middle, they talked about gear and blueprint crafting. And it it just, it made me sick to my stomach, man. It just gives, you know, instantly gives you Avengers flashbacks. Even though this game doesn't expressly uh, fall into like this games as a service thing. I don't think they were, they really have expressed that. Um, in the past, but there's something about that system that's just nasty. It's gross. You know, they removed the com- the combo system. Um, you know, in the middle of combat, you're picking up like these little like point like systems and like little pickups. It's just so disconnected. And honestly, um, developers, not everything needs. RPG elements, you know, like, you know, what made Arkham great was obviously outside of the combat system and the traversal and just being able to beat Batman uh, was just the story. It focused so much on the story and the characters and, you know, uh, crafting and blueprints and all this garbage and gear. And uh, I don't know. Like I said, my enthusiasm for this game uh, has hit zero. It sort of reminds me a little bit when I saw Babylon's Fall when they re-revealed it, and I was like, oh my god, this game is going to be bad. I'm not saying that Gotham Knights is going to be that bad, but I'm no longer excited about this game unless they can show me something else. And, you know, mind you, maybe a lot of this footage was from a, a pretty early build, but I didn't really have any technical issues. Some people were talking about the animations and stuff like that. I was like, ah, oh, you know, still early stuff like that can be polished, but just, just the bones on this project just don't seem very good. Shout out of the week. Shout outs go out to Elden Ring legend. Let me solo who has killed millennia 1000 time. Congratulations. And also shout out to Elden Ring uh, itself, which has shipped 13.4 million copies, half the lifetime sales of the entire dark souls. Um, trilogy. Look, I think that everyone knew that this game was going to be a success. I guarantee you no one knew that it was going to be this successful. I'm sorry. Not even From Software could have predicted and Bandai could have predicted these types of numbers. We're talking about a game and a franchise that has always existed as like a niche type of thing. So for them to ship this many copies is just phenomenal. And it also shows the power, the most powerful marketing tool of all time. It's definitely never going to be reviews. It's always going to be positive word 
of mouth. And I think that's really what drove a lot of those sales is being, it took over social media for weeks. Um, so congratulations to everyone on that team. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Camp Koji for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel, and I will see you all next week.